Welcome. Uh, it's Chris Polis with Pat Machini, doing it my way. Uh, once again, uh, we're here. Uh, Murphy Cargis' studio. Rockstar. Remnants. Remnants. Uh, and our guest tonight is a good friend. Uh, known known him for quite some time. Pat's known him for probably even longer than I have. Uh, retired doctor, uh, Dr. Stephen Gellis. Steve, welcome. Thank you. Welcome, Doc. Thank how are, you. How are you? Everything I'm, I'm good? I'm fine. I'm fine, thanks. Yes. Good. Thanks. So this is this is how we kind of start this thing is, is super easy. Uh, uh, where were you born? I was born in uh, New York City. Where in New York City? You know, I really don't know. Somewhere downtown. <laughs> nice. In, in the French hospital. Got it. How, and how long did you live there? Until uh, I was five. Until you were five. And you lived in, in Manhattan? Uh, I, well, it, it was along the Hudson River. And mm-hmm. I don't know exactly, for whatever reason, don't know the exact area. And, and where did we move to after that? Uh, moved to Tucson, Wild West. Tucson, Arizona, with, with mom and dad? Or? With mom and dad in the 1950s. 1950s. You could rent a horse at the local hotel on the off season. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, Tucson was not the uh, uh, big-time town it is today. <laughs> 25,000 people, and you could rent a horse for 25 cents an hour. Oh, it's great. And what did your, your parents do in Tucson? What, what brought them there? Uh, well, my dad had really bad arthritis, and back in those days, they felt that if you went to a warm climate... Your arthritis would be good, so uh, he worked at the Veterans Hospital, and my mom. He was uh, a doctor. Uh, he was a doctor. Yeah, yeah, but okay. he didn't practice. He worked for the government. Yeah. In Manhattan? Uh, no, no, in in Tucson. In Tucson. Yeah. yeah. And my mom uh, basically was a homemaker. However, she did run a small children's store for about five years. Little kids' clothing and toys and that kind of stuff. Cool. Uh, norm- normal childhood, rich, poor. Uh, sort of middle middle class. middle middle class. Okay. Uh, but middle class, see, middle class in the 50s and 60s was like upper class now. Right. Like 50s and 60s middle class was you wanted for nothing. You had everything that you wanted and yeah. needed, right? I mean, it was, it, it was, well, was it wonderful? Yeah. Well, uh, we had a little house in Tucson. We had a Buick because a Buick was the doctor's car. Yeah. And that's Pershini's. Pershini yeah, loves Buick. Uh, but uh, it was certainly. We didn't know about country clubs or any of those kind of things. You know, we we had everything we needed, as you mentioned. But right, right. But you, you, right, he he didn't have a Cadillac. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that was the next step up. Got and, it. and and you're right. It's funny in in small towns and even now, if you belong to the country club, that was the next step, like the next level. Even though it was yeah. probably three hundred a year or something. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, were you a good student? Ah, an excellent student. Excellent I, student. I'd never had to be told to do my homework, had a sort of a drive, uh, a real paranoia about not succeeding or underperforming. So always a bit of a control freak trying to do my best. So in junior high, were you uh, top of the class type of thing? Uh, junior high, I was near the top. Uh, and, not and, quite the top. and you didn't try hard. It was just natural. Oh, no, 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 no. I tried really you, hard. You tried. I really okay. tried hard. Like you worked your butt off. Oh, very much yeah. so. But you were always in it like an eight. It, working your butt off, you were always, no matter what, top of your class? Uh, A's and B's, uh, upper 10%. Got upper it. 10%, but not up at the very. And up. did you have fun in school? Uh, no, I think it was pretty much work. I didn't, uh, other than being in the junior high school marching band, I really 
didn't go to basketball games or didn't get into sports. I was a pretty serious, pretty serious kid. What what'd you, what instrument did you play? Clarinet. Clarinet. <laughs> uh, drugs? You do drugs then? Uh, no drugs. In the fifties and sixties or sixties? Who who did drugs in the fifties and sixties? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, I, nobody I knew. <laughs> You do, you do yeah. drugs now? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sort of. I don't even like taking my vitamin pill, let alone drugs. <laughs> so, so you're a good student, and you what, you went to high school in Tucson. Okay, well, uh, my family moved then from Tucson, Arizona, to Indianapolis when I was 13. So then I spent the next 10 years. Uh, that would be um, pretty much high school, college, and medical school in Indiana. Great town. So, so uh, high school in Indiana, you get a car? Uh, high school in Indiana, I was very lucky. I started at a particular high school uh, while we were renting a, a duplex. Mm-hmm. And then we bought a home, but it was out of the district from where I was going to the high school. But it wasn't a big deal back then. As long as you could get to the high school, mm-hmm. you could switch. So... I was able to get a car. What was your first car? Ah, hold on to your chairs, gentlemen. <laughs> a nineteen fifty-three, not a fifty-four. A nineteen fifty-three. What year is this? What year are we in? Nineteen fifty-seven. So okay, so you get a four-year-old car, Corvette. Oh shit! Serial number ended in three hundred. The very oh, first last run. of the first first run car. First run car. Which is interesting because there was no difference between the last 53 and the first 54. But now there's hundreds of thousands of dollars of difference just because there was a, such a short run. And was was that when, like, was your car white? My car was white. Because they were all white. They were all white, yep. white with a red, red interior. interior. Like yep. a burgundy interior, right? Uh, sort of a burgundy. Bordeaux. The was, mine was pretty beat up because it was owned previously by the Soapbox Derby winner. So it had cracks in the fiberglass and the soapbox carpets were rotted. Der- so I had some, I had some chartreuse winner. carpets that my mom gave me were left over from the house. <laughs> did, you, did you buy the car yourself? I, I worked like a dog. I hope no one is objecting to that. <laughs> no. From the time I was 13, I knew I wanted that 53 Corvette. So, so, or a 54 would have been okay, too, but a 53 was right. cheaper then. And so I earned every nickel of it. As a matter of fact, as a bribe, my parents told me I could have a 1957 Chevrolet Bennett Bel Air with a manual. You know, they didn't have the mm-hmm. four on the floor. But I wanted that 53 Corvette. So. And you and you knew it at thirteen or knew whatever. Knew it at thirteen. And uh, I knew what, that what were you doing from thirteen to seventeen for work? Well, uh, the while I was in high school, around age fifteen, uh, I worked in a warehouse where I would carry transistor radios and electric razors. That's when Norelco razors first uh, came to be popular. From the basement up two flights of stairs to the showroom area, I was very mercenary. And then I'd ride a city bus from there back to home and try to do my homework. In the summers, uh, before I was able to drive, I worked in an amusement park. It was called Little America. It was owned by a a race car driver named Jack Ensley, and I would run the rides. It was really terrific. Can you be graphic here? Oh, please, (laughs) R-rated. One of the rides I ran was the airplane ride, which went around in circles. And since I was the newest person to work there, but I worked there the whole summer. That was one I got to operate. Uh, it was 
80 cents an hour and all the snow cones you could eat. You were covered with mosquito bites when you got done, and these kids all threw up riding a little. <laughs> so it was really hard work. But I, so, so two summers I worked in an amusement park, and then I actually had my own business. A very good friend of mine who was about a year older, uh, their family had a Ford station wagon. So we each bought a power gas mower, but they didn't have the self-propelled. We had to push it, mm-hmm. and we bought one lawn sweeper. And we, during the summertime and even in the spring, we mowed lawns. Wow. So two of you guys entrepreneurs. Yeah, two of us. Uh, it used to be the G&K grass service, and then he used to say, <laughs> oh, lawn service, and he used to say, grass is our specialty. <laughs> we were ahead of our time. Yeah, right. Way ahead of our time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. That's great. So you, and I so, bought a Corvette. Yeah. Bought a so car. the day you buy a Corvette, yes. how, how, what did that car cost you? You remember? Yeah, the car cost nine ninety five, and it didn't have a top. So I had to wait for my birthday. Well, I got it when I was 15 and a half. Oh. So that's where I learned where there was a couple of cracks on the front. I learned how to take the, the resin and the pieces of that fiberglass cloth, and I sort of did a little fixing up. Didn't look too good, but, you know, 15 and a half years old. Driving a Corvette. Driving a Corvette. Oh, my gosh. And uh, and I got my beginner's permit. Uh, subsequently, I waited for my 16th birthday, and I collected enough money from the relatives to get a new convertible top because mine didn't have a hard top option. Uh, so, and, and you drove that to high school? Drove that to school every day, yes. Um, in the snow? In the snow sometimes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's great. Not, not good weather. And what was, even though it was a few years old, was that like the shit at high school? Like a Corvette? Well, I, I you know, it's hard like, to Did tell. it stick out in the parking lot? Like, uh, oh my God. Well, they didn't have parking lots. They had to park it on Meridian Street. That was up the main street in Indianapolis. They didn't, back in those years, not too many kids had cars. So you just had to park on the street somewhere. And my high school wasn't in the best neighborhood. But I never had much vandalism. I don't know. Maybe for, maybe for some reason, the other kids thought, "Well, that was nice, and we won't, you know, do anything to it." Trouble with they didn't have real windows that rolled up. It had a plexiglass window that you put in place, and a little <laughs> wing opened up. So sometimes you need to have a half inch of snow on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> and and are you? Do you know when you're in high school, going to school, you're good. You're still a good student, right? Yes. Very good student. Did you know you want to go to medical school? Uh, I think by the time, uh, I think in high school, not really. Mm-hmm. I think in high school, I just knew that I would probably do something with the science oriented. I was better in. So you're science. a bi- biology type guy. Biology and chemistry and physics, those Got types of things. Got it. And do you, and you so you graduate high school? Correct. And you stay at home and you go to UI. Uh, so uh, so well, I basically uh, we lived in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. but. Indiana University, although they have a campus in Indianapolis now, they didn't back then. Uh, they the main campus was in Bloomington, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was about thirty-seven miles away. So I would go during the school year down to Bloomington, Indiana. Now you have to realize something. It's not like going thirty-seven miles, you know, to get your oil changed here or to go to a good delicatessen. To go that trip to take me down to college, they got the oil changed, they checked the radiator. <laughs> They filled everything up. You know, it was like a major trip on a two-lane winding road back in the 1950s in Indiana. It wasn't like you're, you know, just driving 80 miles up to LA for a, for a better pastrami sandwich. Right, and right. Then come on back down. <laughs> Times were different. So four years, four years at Indiana. Well, actually, not. Uh, you know, we had the war going on at that time, mm. and uh, once I got going, this uh, is, wait, this is Korea. 
Uh, no, Vietnam. Oh, Vietnam. So, uh, sure. so like... Uh, Wait, the WW1? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, it was the... Uh, uh, what was it? The Spanish, uh, Spanish-American one. Right. Right. Yeah, I'd like to introduce our guest, Buenos dias, senores. Buenos dias, senores. I've lost my job now because I... Okay, so so when you, what year you graduate high school? Sorry. Okay, so I graduated high school around 19... Let's uh, recalibrate. Okay, about 1961. And then I went to college, and then uh, basically I could. Uh, about that time, pretty much everybody I knew was either going to become a doctor, lawyer, or Indian chief. Now we don't have too many Indian chiefs. I don't, so know, if like you're allowed to, I don't know if you're allowed to say that anymore. And I know, so I guess I better retract that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I uh, at the end, it was an unusual time because ordinarily the usual uh, path would be you would go to college for four years. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere before you graduated, you would apply to medical school. Mm-hmm. And then after the four years of college, you'd start medical school. But during that time, they wanted to mass produce some doctors. So if your grades were good enough, and my grades were, uh, I applied to medical school after the second year of college and got accepted. So I only went to college oh. three years. Wow, like, like I, a fast like, track. the year. Yeah, yeah. it's a fast track. So I went to college uh, only three years, and then I went to medical school. Was part of that knowing you were going to join the service? Well, uh, you, you touched on a very interesting political subject that I was discussing with somebody before. But they had something called the Berry Plan, B-E-R-R-Y, and that had something to do with some legislator. Medical schools didn't want to lose you along the way. So you essentially had to volunteer under the Berry plan uh, and commit yourself to the military once you graduated. So they so, knew they had doctors right, coming. They knew they, they, had they needed doctors, doctors right. uh, properly but, but, trained. But more importantly, you couldn't go to medical school unless you signed up to go in the military afterwards. And I'm so sure that if you had some fragile medical issues or something, but then again, they might not have found you a candidate to go to school. So there was an obligatory uh, military service commitment wow, okay. that came. Uh, there, there were different people went in at different intervals after they graduated from medical school. But uh, pretty much everybody during that period of time, the late uh, 60s, early 70s, uh, would have a, a commitment. So when did, when did you join the Navy? So I joined the Navy uh, in 1970. 1970. So Vietnam is winding down. Winding down, but still pretty busy. Still pretty busy. Where, so where, where, where do you go out of, out of medical school? Okay, so out of, out of medical school in Indiana, where I fought snow, ice, 14 <laughs> inches of snow. You know, you, you didn't want to look too much like a nerd, so you wouldn't wear those galoshes. Right. But you try walking from your dorm, no cars on campus. Okay. You try walking from your dorm to where your chemistry lab is when it's, 10 below zero and there's 14 inches of snow on oh, the ground, shit. seven inches of snow. Feet got sort of cold, but you, you didn't want to have those ugly galoshes on. So anyway, what was the next question? I think I may skip. So where, where did you go? Uh, where where does your service begin? Okay. So uh, after uh, medical school, I came out here to California and I did a, what's called an internship. That's the first year after medical school uh, at, a, at a hospital uh, called the Orange County General Hospital, conveniently located at Chapman Avenue in Manchester. And nowadays, that's called UCI. Right. But it wasn't UCI then. Wow. And, uh, and then af- for after that year... 
First, uh, first, sorry, first trip to California is this? First trip to California. So you come out here from Indiana and oh, you're like, holy shit. fuck. You're in Orange dude. County. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 1969, right? Life was a little faster out here. Ooh, oh, my gosh. gosh. And, and there was sunshine in January. Sun, and, right, a exactly. and a bunch of uh, uh, chicks without bras and weed. Well, there were some hot nurses. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to get into it. And, uh, so, and after that, I went to Long Beach for a year. See, because my deferment, meaning the, the interval that they gave me uh, was that I would have two years after graduation from medical school mm-hmm. before I had to go in. So one year was the intertrip. And, and with, the yeah. Barry, with the Barry plan, yes. do they pay for your medical school? No, no, no. Uh, they didn't pay anything. Uh, it was just, it was more of a, the, I think that was the name of the plan that that's saying, formally that's said saying you're this, in. this is happening. This is right, happening. Right, right. So it's, it was... B- Basically, a draft for yeah, medical yeah. students. I, I guess you might as well call it a draft. Yeah. Okay. In other words, uh, it was voluntary. Right. But you wouldn't get. But you're not going to school to, yeah. unless you volunteered. So. So, it's, so it sounds like some kind of mandate that's going on today. Well, yeah. So, so, so ev- every doctor in the late '60s, early '70s, probably was prob- pretty much every was every a Barry plan, was, was a Barry Plan graduate. Plan. Yes. F- funny, funny. Never, never mm-hmm. heard that yeah. ever. No, and yeah. and and. People that were twenty and thirty or whatever in this era, when they hear this, will say, "Oh, the Barry plan." I, re- yeah. I remember hearing that because <laughs> it was probably a Senator Barry that said, yeah. "Hey, well, you you go to medical school and you fast track." And, and, right. and there's no upside. Right. Well, there's what was the upside? Well, the you? upside is you got into medical school. Right. Well, the the, the main reason was like you, you were skipped in. a year. The medical school didn't want to lose anybody along the way. Otherwise, it would just be a total waste of your own resources that you were paying to go, mm-hmm. and the fact that you couldn't finish. So they needed uh, to be certain that people who started finished. Yeah. Uh, but again, there was no remuneration. You, know, you just... So so that, that the old joke, uh, you know, what do you call the guy that's that's uh, bottom of his class in medical school? Yeah. A doctor? Yeah. And so... <laughs> I'm going to go to that guy. Yeah. So, so w- you were a great student. You were, you were a... a a great person in medical school uh-huh. and you were in school with a bunch of people that probably weren't and it was apparent to you that they weren't no i think they're all pretty good oh you're being nice yeah, yeah be pretty yeah. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> like they're, they're all fucking they're, dead yeah. now dude. Crazy <laughs> shit. Well, yeah we, well there were a couple of jerks but you know <laughs> by and large we had a pretty good group but you get to you get to orange county and were you like what the hell is going on uh well the during one uh, during the internship, which is that first year yeah. after school, uh, you have a lot of night call, a lot of weekend call. So, and it, what kind it, of medicine were you practicing, or what were you? Well, interning? Well, it was just okay, it was just uh, called a general internship. It means it was general medicine. You were sort of like no one who really graduates from medical school is ready to work on your hemorrhoids or anything like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's that's a little assumption. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, basically that that first year, which is. Nowadays, they have a fancy term that's called uh, postgraduate year one, but what we used to call the internship. Yeah, you rotate through a variety of things. Okay, you get exposed to everything. Surgery, yeah, and, and, and then theoretically, you find something that you might want to do, or you may want to just be a general practitioner. That's fine, too. Yeah. But that's nowadays requires additional training. So I came out, it was just sort of like general medicine. But uh, I didn't see too much of what was going on because uh, we were on call, meaning you had to stay in the hospital all night, every night, doing your thing, about uh, two or three times a week. 
So there, w- there wasn't as much leisure time as... Where where did you live? I lived over uh, by where the Crystal Cathedral used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it was on Haster Street. I don't know if it's still there anymore. Mm. Haster and Chapman. Did, did you have a car? Of course. What did you have? At a 68 Corvette. Oh, Another Corvette. Yeah. British Racing Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, 327, first 350. Year, first year for the Stingray. Yeah. <clears throat> 327, 350 engine. Yeah. The old Goodyear narrow red wall tires. Instead yeah. of having white walls, they had red walls. Manual transmission. And uh, was that a convertible? It was a convertible. Yeah. Oh, cool. Great car. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you finish you finish up, and then you're you're done with your internship. Correct. Where where do you go? So are you are you sorry? Are you in the Navy at that point? Uh, not yet. Not okay. Yet. So after the internship, uh, one more year of training in internal medicine down okay. in Long Beach at uh, Long Beach Memorial Hospital, and then I have to go to the Navy. So I had to sell the Corvette. Mm-hmm. It allowed like one suitcase. And I was assigned to a ship. Where? Uh, I was out of Long Beach. Okay. It was called a fast combat support ship. It was called the USS Camden. Big ship, almost the size of an aircraft carrier. Had all, oh, sorts, geez. all sorts of stuff on it. If you want to know a little bit what was on it, I can tell you what was yeah, on it. Yeah, I'd love to hear. Okay, well, uh, this was a type of... They used to have in those days out in the Pacific, in the 7th Fleet... Uh, what they called UNREPS, U-N-R-E-P-S. That meant underway replenishment, meaning there were task forces. Task forces usually had two aircraft carriers, a couple of destroyers, a couple of supply ships, and some of them had a ship like ours. While you're out off the coast of Vietnam or wherever you're stationed, you got aircraft carriers with 5,000 people need food. Mm -hmm. They need fuel. These ships were built to, while underway, while cruising 10, 15 knots in the ocean, to uh, give food, uh, to distribute food, fuel. They're, they're, uh, they're like grocery stores for you, the support. Exactly. They're wow. Like, they're yes. like Uber Eats. Yeah. Uber the, Eats, yeah. For, so, for the so, young so guys. Example, so, example, the way the food would work would be uh, there'd be big cranes that would. Uh, transfer stuff from one ship to another ship with what they called the Manila High Line. It was like a cable that went back and forth. I don't, I don't know if that's PC in today's world. Yeah. Well, I was named after Manila. So I yeah, think, I know, but I just, yeah. somebody's yeah. going to find uh, oh, uh, uh, issue. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, posi- it's a positive. You know, <laughs> yeah, no. and, and then, for example, uh, we might uh, move a couple of hundred thousand gallons of uh, what's called uh, crude oil. Uh, the the boilers of the ships just used what was called Navy crude oil. So using a technology where two ships are parallel, maybe about 30 feet across from each other, the first person shoots from a shotgun a little plug that has a cord on it. And they connect that to a cable, maybe quarter-inch cable, which then gets pulled back to the first ship. And then from that, they eventually run these big hoses, uh, 12, 14-inch diameter hoses, uh, from one ship to the other ship. And then we actually pumped the... The crude through. The crude through. 10 knots. 
or whatever, ten, whatever. ten or twenty knots. Yeah, uh-huh. you guys, you guys are moving in tandem. We're moving in and tandem. still in the Pacific Ocean. In the Pacific Ocean, moving this stuff, trading oil and toilet oil. paper and food and exactly. So the, here's the kind of stuff that we had. Uh, we had that, that we carried at all times. We carried uh, three million gallons of what's called wow. the Navy crude oil. That's because there are many ships out there, aircraft carriers, destroyers. All these people needed stuff. We carried about uh, 150,000 gallons of. No, I'm sorry, a million gallons of JP5 jet fuel. Jet fuel <laughs> for the aircraft carriers, and and that's not that flammable, right? Very flammable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then we had about uh, 150,000 gallons of 115 octane regular gasoline because the AWACS planes, the, the propeller planes with the big mushroom on top. They needed that kind of fuel. So we had that. And then we had uh, some... Did, did this, those are the radar planes, right? Those are the radar planes. Yeah, oh, did, did your plane or your boat ship look like a tanker? Or what What, what did it look it, like? It looked like a big ship with a big a lot of cranes and a lot of uh, wow. stuff. On, like, and like what a, was its acronym? What's it called? Uh, Fast Combat Support Ship. F... C. Oh, actually, it was AOE, uh, ammunition, oil, and explosives. But it was, but but it was. Dude, and dude was if, some, new, if somebody mean, shot a gut, a shot uh, something into your right, if your the, boat. Hey, if the German sub yeah. would have bombed them, right, well, with the torpedo, they'd have been toast. Well, if, listen, the, if the Huns attack, well, listen. Let me tell you what else we had. That on thing there. would but blow. That thing had to have been. The most explosive. That had thing to have been the target, though, right? Uh, well, like fuck. Well, we were always flanked by a couple of aircraft carriers and a couple of destroyers. Wow. So, listen, what else we had on there? Do you, do you think anybody would care now? This is fifty years later. We do. I mean, yeah. I, oh, oh, dude, we totally care. Okay. Well, I mean, do you think anybody in the government would come arrest me? Oh no, 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 no. no, no. This is no, all. No, this no, is no, all no, declassified. Okay. They're okay. they're going after we Trump. We had enough. What are called 500-pound bombs. A 500-pound bomb is about a one-foot diameter and about five feet long. And that's what jets drop. I had enough of those to cover a football field six feet tall. Holy shit. And the most important part, because I saw this in Time magazine when we finally got our Time magazines, down in the bowels of the ship were a guy named Gunner Hayes. The gunner was the person who was in charge of armaments and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we had these look like big sarcophaguses, these big plastic containers with a lot of writing on them. And about a third of the way into the cruise, I finally went down and said, you know, what's in those? And he says, well, didn't you go to the class uh, on nuclear safety and (laughs) chemical warfare? And I said, yeah, yeah, because that that was part of my training. He says, well, we have... uh, 50 tailless missiles with nuclear warheads. Holy shit. Holy shit. I'd call it diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) At any rate, uh, we we carry these. We would not deploy these, but we, for some reason, were the safekeeper. Yeah, just in case somebody somebody back home says, hey, you know what? Time. Uh, Hey, bring out the gimp. So that was my ship. And in addition, we had a uh, helicopter. We had a heliport on the ship on the back. Wow. So although I was the general medical officer for the the rest of the ship, I was also like the flight surgeon for the helicopter detachment because they they flew the helicopters, meaning they moved heavy pallets back and forth from ship to ship and uh, and those types of things. So so you were you were in charge of taking care of the people on board. Yeah, I was the doctor for the entire 
fleet? Uh, or or for the the pod, like the, guys on the aircraft the, oh, character, oh, oh, okay, or just no, your ship? I was the doctor for the guys on our ship, about 550. The, wow, uh, the aircraft carriers had large medical staffs, all sorts of... Like, like full surgery full centers surgery. and all kinds of Everything. shit, right? Right. And what kind of facility did you have on that boat for the 500 guys? <clears throat> Uh, we had a we had a one operating room. We never did any surgery, but we had an operating room. We had an X-ray machine wow. and all the developing stuff that went along with it. You know, nowadays you go to your doctor and he does a digital X-ray, but here they had to take a film, dip it in a tank, wash yeah. it off. A big wow. deal. Like a like. And a, how how long did yeah. you serve? I was in. Uh, well, I was on that ship for one year, uh-huh. and then I did. It seem like. Ten years, or was it? Was it? Did it go by fast? Twenty or? years. <laughs> was it? Time. Was it crazy? Was it miserable? Uh, well, it was sort of lonely. You know, yeah. sort of. I was the only like the only kind of doctor on there. Did we you have? Foreman. Did you have better accommodations than the rest of the guys? Well, I was an officer, and the officers had a little bit more space. Like I had a little room that maybe was like maybe uh, five by nine. That's a pretty good sized room. Where some of the enlisted people slept on bunk beds in so hot cot, right? Like, yeah. like three, three staff. Yeah, yeah. Three you, staff. you worked at night, and, and then and uh, sometimes, yeah, whenever the ship was was active, I was working. So sometimes and, I had to work at night. How was the food? Uh, food was excellent. Uh, you would, uh, oh, in addition to all those armaments, we we had uh, frozen food, uh, maybe uh, four, to deliver. Four, yeah, yeah, to deliver. Uh, maybe uh, four stories high. 150 feet wide, 300 feet long. Uh, a, a lot of food. How big and then is this ship? Uh, 790 feet long, wow. 150 feet wide, and the draft was like 32 feet. It went like 32 feet yeah. down into the water. <laughs> wow. So, uh, so, so we had plenty of food, and uh, we were fortunate. We had, uh, well, there were three different places where people ate. Uh, the enlisted people ate in what they call the general enlisted mess. Uh, and, and they had like one kind of food. And then there was only like about 20 people. I, I, I don't know what you call them now. They're like chief warrant officers. They're the senior enlisted people, E7s, E8s. E8, the, the guys who sort of run the ship who aren't officers. Right. And they had their own mess. I mean, so it was a very small group yeah. of fellas. And their food was better than the regular food, but very good. And then the officers had their own mess. Uh, mess is like where you eat. And we must have had about 30 officers, and uh, they had a whole detachment of uh, people who did the cooking uh, from another country. I'm not going to mention the country. And these people were very good in what they made. So they How come some... you're not mentioning the country? Well, should I mention the country? Is it Vietnam? No, it'd be Philippines. Oh, the Filipinos. Okay. <coughs> and they made very good stuff. Yeah, uh, they care about food. Yeah, oh, they cool. know about food. So, so the food was, you know, pretty good. Well, more better than the food that was represented on MASH. Sure. I yeah, want to yeah. date myself. Yeah, That's we, my yeah, reference. It, it was pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, how, so you're in the, on that ship for a year. How long is your, how long is your commitment to the country? Uh, so the country service? commitment is two years. Two years. And, and then not interested in re-enlisting? Uh, not, no. Well, the second year I was in a hospital in Long Beach. They, there used to be a big naval hospital in Long Beach. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, so, you, so you spent a year in the South Pacific. South, South year Pacific. in the South Pacific. So okay, so you're 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 done with the ship. Done with the ship. Back in Long Beach, you buy a car right away. Uh, yep, bought a car when I came back. What, what, Corvette. Yeah. Uh, seventy-two Corvette, silver, four-speed <laughs> manual. Unfortunately, now they're down to one hundred ninety-five horsepower. The, the things were 
cars are going downhill. So, uh, uh, small block. A small a block. Yeah. yeah, small block. You do, you do, where do you live? 72 in Long still Beach. Uh, so uh, that second year that I was back, I lived in Long Beach, and then I moved back to Orange County uh, about the time I got out of the service. Okay, so you get out of the service, and what happens there? How does that end, like the service? Oh, well, uh, on your last day, they tell you that your hair's too long, you got to get a haircut to comply with naval regulations. I got a haircut, and then they shook her hands and said, thanks. <laughs> hey, I'm going to say, I'm gonna you say thanks, check. too. Thank yeah. you. Oh, you're I welcome. I appreciate it, man. Really do. Well, you're welcome. Wonderful. The reason we get to sit here is dudes like you. Yes. So that's how I feel. Uh, okay, so where do you go to work? Okay, so after I uh, came back uh, from the service, uh, well, actually, the second year I was in the service, uh, when I worked at the hospital in Long Beach, it was called the Long Beach Naval Hospital, uh, I, I spent a lot of time in the emergency room, so I decided that I was an emergency room doctor. Mm-hmm. Back in those years, they didn't have formal training programs to become an emergency room doctor. Uh, now, whether you want to be an orthopedist or a pediatrician or a brain surgeon or a dermatologist, you have to take additional training, mm-hmm. uh, two, three, four years to do those kind of things. But back in the 19, in 1972, there was no such thing. You, you sort of wild took wild the west. sum total of your experience. Wild West. Yeah. yeah, just did it. So so that's what I did. I did that. Here in OC? Here in Orange County. Okay. Uh, where? Uh, Tustin and Santa Ana. Santa Ana Santa must Ana. have been, you yeah. saw some, you saw, how long were you in the ER? Uh, about 10 years. Oh, so you saw some shit. Oh, I saw a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah okay. So uh, you're, you're there. Where are you living? Oh, so I, so I moved in an apartment over in the city of Orange. Uh, actually, it was very close to where UCI is right now. It's actually right across the street. I stayed there for about uh, five or six years and then. Excuse me, and then eventually bought a house in Irvine. And and so how long how long are you working as an ER doctor before you st- well, like we are like making money? Ah, well, one thing nice about working as an emergency room doctor was that you started making money right away. So all of a sudden, you're you you take this job, you're oh shit, I'm getting a paycheck. Correct. Well, actually, like, not a check. You work for yourself, but yeah, you you had resources coming in right. So away. you're like, oh shit, uh, I'm gonna buy a '73 Corvette and a '74 Corvette, yeah. and a '75 right. Corvette. What was what was the first like when you realized that hey, I, I have some disposable income? What was the first purchase? And and well, and, and I know you, Steve, as being a pretty frugal, well, frugal's a shitty word. <clears throat> I like uh, conservative. All right, you're gonna find mm. it's hard to believe. The first major thing I bought, well, other than two pairs of, (laughs) you're going to laugh about this. My feet have always been sore. I always thought a good pair of shoes is important. So I went to the Florsheim store where they made a mold of my foot and I had two pairs of loafers, one tan and one navy Uh made. So I have really good, comfortable shoes to wear because my feet were always sore. Well, and you're working 18 hours. Yeah, working 18 hours a day. But after that, uh, the first major thing I bought, I bought my mama condo in indianapolis because oh, cool she, oh that's uh, really nice that, that was before i bought myself a house got it so you buy her you buy her this okay right fast forward what are you driving what what are you driving and when do you when do you pop your cherry all right well let's put it this way so i come out uh after coming back from the year on the ship i get a 72 corvette how many Corvettes have you had? Well, I had like five of them. 
Each one was getting progressively watered down and worse. Right. right. And then around uh, 1974, no, 1970. Take that back. That Corvette was a 71. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a good year. Porsches were really becoming popular. And no longer did you seem to be a virile, desirable man if you had a Corvette. It seemed like you had to have a Porsche. <laughs> and I've always been one to keep the cars a long time. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, uh, I, I needed to get out of that Corvette. So I got a 72 uh, Porsche 911S. Now, you know, that was a hot ticket back then. Yeah, it was. It was. The, T, the E, the S. The T was uh, carbureted. The E was uh, Einspritz fuel injection. But the S was, you know, all of 180 horsepower. But that's like... 900 horsepower now. Right. So, it was, it was the, so you're a doctor in 1972, an <laughs> ER doctor, doctor driving a fucking Porsche. Driving a Porsche, right. <laughs> was that a cliche back then? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think, it's, I think it's still cliche, right? I remember yeah. I sold a, I sold a uh, yellow Ferrari to a guy in 2003, huh. and he was, a, he was a doctor. And I said, uh, hey, is it, is it acceptable to drive a yellow Ferrari <laughs> to the hospital? He goes, I'm a fucking surgeon. I can drive whatever I want. (laughs) (laughs) So I had this uh, 911S, which was really good. And most of the time I worked daytime shifts in the emergency room. But sometimes I had to work a night shift Mm because we hired uh, some of the UCI doctors to come work the nights for us. But it was late one night, I'd say 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I'm waiting for some x-rays to be developed and there used to be a magazine called Auto Week. It oh, didn't yeah. have the magazine format like it does now, which is like an eight and a half by eleven. But it was like a small newspaper. It was tabloidish. <clears throat> yeah, tabloidish. And in there, I saw a couple of ads for Ferrari Dinos. Now, a good friend of mine, another guy that I knew from the Navy, had just bought a Daytona, and I, I know that was perhaps more powerful, but. I saw these ads for a Dino, and I was just smitten with it. I mean, both of you guys uh, probably know that Dino is... It's one of the best-looking cars ever. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, it was about 12 o'clock. I couldn't wait till the next morning when Chicago would be open because it was at a dealer called Knauts, K-N-A-U-T-Z, Continental Auto. And the guy named Mr. Knauts, he had the Midwest Ferrari dealership. Remember, your dealership network was much smaller. Yeah. It had to be like four dealers, right? Six <coughs> yeah, dealers. Like that. yeah. Uh, uh, what was his name? Kennedy. Uh, uh, well, there's Luigi Kennedy on the East Coast. Kennedy on the East Coast and, and Hera. Hera, and, Hera. Yeah. and there was some guy up in Monterey who uh, I can't remember his name. Oh, to. yeah. So I hassled with these guys, or haggled with these guys for about two months on the price because uh, it was a, a 72 Dino, silver, black seats. No air. Uh, it had about 3,000 miles on it. And, of course, it was a very cold winter, so they weren't having much foot traffic. <laughs> Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. I mean, so, <laughs> so finally by March, it might be like 73 or something, uh, we came to terms and they trucked And you're it out calling there. them, right? Yeah. There's yeah. no email. There's no There's nothing. no so email. You you're had to talk you're to phoning them. them up and, and saying, hey, it's it's Steve, and I'm still interested. And, 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 and yeah, for yeah. sure. You still have the Dino. For sure the guy on the other end is like, oh, fuck this guy again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, but for I, sure. But they had two of them. And just remember this. You guys are both previously with the Ferrari organization. <clears throat> remember that. 
the Dinos or many of the cars, the, the, the cars didn't, ha uh, the serial numbers were either odd or even. So if you had a serial number, my car was a 0003356, that was the 1800th Dino made. But only about, I think at that time, maybe 15% of the world production was coming here. I don't think it got up to the 20, 25% where it may have reached if, it, if it's that high now. Mm -hmm. It means there's only, you know, 150, 200 of these things on the whole North American continent. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, so uh, they didn't have too many of them. There weren't too many places to go, but I knew that's what I wanted. So eventually we came to terms. They dropped it off. What would you pay? I paid uh, 12500 for it. And was it ridiculous, the price? Were you like, oh, my God. Uh, what was the Porsche? It, what was the Porsche? Uh, or a Corvette? Corvette yeah. was Corvettes were about six or six seven. Six or seven. Uh, so double. Por Porsches were around 14 because it was an, an S. Okay. So uh, a little so, bit of a deal. Yeah. So, uh, and I think, I don't know what they were new. I think they might have been more like about 14,000 new. So, mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was a fair price. It was a lot of money for a car. Yeah. Yeah. Car gets dropped off. Car gets dropped off, and I drive it to work every day. I use it as my daily driver. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to care. And, and were you, is the first time you get in it and drive a Dino, yes. right? the three of us have all driven a Dino, were you like, oh. This, or, is, di this is different. Or, or were you like, oh, my God. Well, this it is... felt a little bit like a go-kart. Yeah. yeah, about as close as a go kart as you could get. Dude, I, 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 I can't. And you what fucking year, wind that this, thing Steve? out. Seventy three. What year was this? Uh, late seventy three. Okay, so the, yeah. it was fairly new. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I it mean, was almost three thousand miles. Almost today, a new when I get in a Dino and I see those fenders mm -hmm. through the windshield, mm -hmm. and you drive it and you hear it mm -hmm. and you shift and you like it's. It's visceral, man. Oh, it's it's like spectacular. It's, it's I don't use the term surreal very often, but yeah. it really is a surreal. It's a different kind of feel. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It, you're I, you're, I, you're I like completely the, engaged. I like to use the word sexual. Sexual. Yeah. With a Dino, is that? Is that... I, I mean, if that's <laughs> yeah, if, if you no, you and your buddy Dino the like to the fenders. It was, oh, it, it is a great. little bit like a TR. You know, it's very oh curved, no, very, it's, it's great. How long did you drive that? And how many miles you put on it? <clears throat> I put on about, I think about 10,000 miles on it uh, through 1977. And uh, uh, the dealer, uh, uh, there wasn't a dealer in Newport when I got it, but then Lee West had Newport Imports. Yeah. And he was, a, I think, the franchise. You're right. So uh, it was interesting. <clears throat> Mine was a coupe, a Dino Coupe, 246GT. And I believe the GTS with the removable hardtop, but not the real nice back rear quarter panel window, was much more popular. So when I knew that I was getting this 77, one of the first steel body 308s. Where, where'd you order that car? I'll tell you about that in a sec. Uh, <clears throat> I took it down to two places to see what I might get. I didn't know that, it, that I would maybe put it in the LA Times and try to sell it individually. So first, <clears throat> I go to a guy by the name of Al Mardikian. I know Al. <laughs> oh, you know Al? How about Al? Oh, well, oh. Al is now down, was down where the current Ferrari dealership was, but it was like a dilapidated, they used to call it the, like death row down there. Every, oh, every yeah. business that went little, down there. A little dodgy down there. Down there. And they said, highly, well. <clears throat> highly, highly Armenian down there, right? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, now they got the Marrakesh restaurant or something. <laughs> ah! <laughs> So uh, they said, well, you know, this is a coupe, and nobody wants these. Uh, you know, maybe give you 
seven or ten thousand dollars for it. And then I said, thank you. And then I uh, drove up the street to where. Uh, it's where Sterling BMW is. Where Sterling BMW is, but now where they sell their pre-owned certified. Right. It was, it was the Jag Ferrari, uh, and then after that, it was the fucking like the well, remember the drive-through restaurant. Drive-through restaurant. Exactly. <laughs> and and they had a couple of guys there. I remember the one guy was a sort of an unshaven, sort of a slovenly-looking fella. <laughs> <clears throat> but he was very, very nice. <clears throat> and he said, well, you know, that's a coupe. You know, there's people who really like that car. Uh, he said, we wouldn't, we wouldn't buy it from you if we did. Maybe we'd give you maybe 12000 for it. Uh, and I said, well, what happens if I, I tried this with you guys, mm. you've never bit when mm. you were with a fry. <clears throat> what happens if you, if you find somebody who wants one of those and we'll just have like a little side deal, whichever salesman gets me a buyer, you know, I'll just pay you something if you find it. So you call back about six weeks later, you found somebody who's willing to pay seventeen thousand and I gave him a thousand cash for his There you go. That's you called know. curbing and it's highly Cur- illegal. Oh well oh God <laughs> But well, that I, fuck in the nineteen seventies in yeah. Newport Beach who well, give a shit. No yeah, right. well in the seventies it was so legal. Yeah, no, well, and, legal. and yeah. for sure I'm almost a hundred percent I'm ninety yeah. percent sure that the statute of limitations run out. Yeah. I'm You're good. Right. right. No, okay. and, and that guy's probably a mega dealer somewhere. Right, yeah. <laughs> he, he, well, cash. You know, he didn't have to pay any tax. So uh, eventually, uh, a long, convoluted story on the first uh, 308. It was metallo light metallic blue, with a navy interior, navy carpets, a real beauty. So the deal was that... All the California cars were sold. I don't know if you guys would have been, would you have had any feel for what it was like with Ferrari in 1977? Or is this well, I was nine. Five. You were nine. Okay. So all those cars were sold. And I would have guessed that maybe they sold over sticker, but I don't know. And then there were 49 state cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, cars that were not legal to be sold in California as a new car. Right. Uh, there was nothing that said that these cars couldn't be on the road as used cars. So there was a fellow named Rick Jackson, and I won't go into how I met him. He was advertising. Do you guys know Rick Jackson? No. Up in Ventura? No. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you about him. He's a very, uh, I haven't seen the guy in 40 years, but a very impressive person. Slovenly? Uh, no, he wasn't Slavonly. That was the guy at the Newport. <laughs> Opposite of Slavonly. Yeah, yeah, the guy looked sort of like Chewy Baca, but he, you know, he knew his cars. But Rick was slick. Rick, Rick was slick. <clears throat> Rick was a young man who went to Cal State Northridge, and somehow, as I understand his story, he invented some little figurines, some little dolls, which led to greeting cards, and it was called Love Is. And women and people and little dolls. Holy it, a, a whole shit. Product. There's a, like a cartoon of that, right? <clears throat> well, whatever it is, he became very wealthy as an anthropology student. He just had this idea. So he uh, bought into Bavarian Motors, which was a Ferrari dealership in uh, Fort Worth, uh, I think Fort Worth, Texas. They're no longer a, a dealer. But he had like a half ownership. And he was working in cahoots with Mr. Hara, William Hara, mm-hmm. 
Harrow was the American distributor at that time, no longer Louisiana. I don't know about Louisiana on the East Coast. Yeah, there was East but, Coast, West Coast. Yeah, but Harrow was the West Coast. Well, he had 49 steel body 1977 308s. 49 state cars. Right. Sure. California had zero. California had zero. So this fellow, Rick Jackson, apparently had a, some sort of a working relationship with Modern Classic Motors. Modern Classic Motors is a brick-and-mortar dealer <coughs> in Reno that had Ferraris but other import cars. So uh, I went to see a used 308 that he had. And then he confessed, and he says, well, I don't really have many used cars. It's got a few miles on it. He says, what color do you want? I Sounds said, familiar. Right? Uh, I mean, I, the, Ferrari, the Ferrari business hasn't changed, right? Oh, like, yeah. hey, we're going to show you this used car, but I got three new ones in the yeah. back. So, so he says, what do you want? Red, white, blue, green. So I decided I wanted uh, this Metallazuro, sky blue metallic. I love that color. And then he flew me up to Reno. Uh, I, of course, had to have a cashier's check. Uh, I, I took a plane i took a i think a, a limousine to lax or somehow then i got up to burbank he flew me in a commercial plane to reno uh where they showed me my 1977 steel body 308 and he says are you sure you don't want silver or black or maroon <laughs> or yellow what i have in stock <laughs> uh because they had all of the unsold what what, what was still 77s that couldn't be sold uh, in the state of California. Right. <laughs> uh, and then I drove the car back from Reno to here. Then, of course, my insurance company, USAA, <clears throat> who uh, a lot of people who were in the service use USAA as their insurance, they wanted that car licensed in California, pronto. California said, you can't license that car in California until it has 3,000 miles. So, so in between emergency room shifts, I drove back and forth to San Diego, <laughs> uh, you know, two three times a week until I got my three thousand miles. In the meantime, I had it licensed as in my sister's name in Indiana. So that's the the, the first of, of the eight cylinder Ferraris. I love that's it. Great. It never I goes downhill it. after that. The, Let me ask you this yeah. question: At what point did you? Um, we're going to segue a little bit. At what point did you leave? the emergency room and know that Dr. Gellis wants to work for himself? Ah, so around uh, 1980, uh, I decided that the emergency room was for young men working late at night, working 24-hour shifts. I was getting old for that, so mm -hmm. I went ahead and <clears throat> opened up an office in Irvine. So what, in opening up the office, you and I have had this discussion prior, and, and I found it you know, inspiring to me. As a young, you know, as a newly entrepreneur, when you started, you opened up your shingle. You're like, fuck, I can't, I don't know how to get business, right? I advertise, you know, and, and business is slow. And what was sort of, what was one of the things that you did? Um, okay. Well, we. And uh, what kind of doctor's office was it? Okay. GP? It was it was a family practice. Okay. So, okay. Because having been an emergency room doctor and treated all we'll these acute, serious things, you know, treating blood pressure, obesity, you know, what, whatever, warts, boils, you know, whatever, uh, you could do that having dealt with life and death stuff you mm -hmm. know, all day long. So um, 
we went into a very big building where there were going to be 50 doctor's offices in Irvine. And this is now 1980. Irvine is developing as a city. Of course, it didn't know there was going to be a recession. <clears throat> and uh, we had what was a, sort of a novelty back then, a walk-in clinic. Nowadays, you have these <coughs> excuse me, urgent cares or walk-in clinics you know, all over the place. But that was sort of a novel thing. So we were under the impression that we'd be serving the city of Irvine, that there'd be people moving in, families, and that the some people might come to this urgent care thing, and then they would be referred to doctors in the building, and we would build our medical practices from A, hanging your shingle up, mm-hmm. B, having a directory in the front of the building, C, word of mouth, and, and D, getting some referrals from the people that came to the urgent care. As it turned out, the urgent care doctor uh, decided she would just build her own practice from that urgent care, so we didn't get too much from that. So what I did was, even though I had this office, which I had to spend money to uh, paint the walls and put up wallpaper, buy tables, you know, buy lights, lamps, uh, band-aids, suturing material, EKG machine, you know, all this kind of stuff I had to buy. Uh, I continued to work some emergency room shifts because when you open up the door, it isn't like Albertsons opens up a new grocery store and you, people come in and buy, you know, rotisserie chickens. Right. <clears throat> we sat there for nine working days until someone actually opened up the door and stuck their head in the door. So um, I, I that's, continued. That's hard. Yeah, it's sort, sort of hard. like when you start your own business. You know, yeah. Right. One, yeah well, I, you, for, first, somebody has to call you up and say, I got a car I want to sell. Right. You, know, you, you can't sell it before someone offers you to you know, to do business with them. So uh, we just did, didn't really have much walk-in business, and it took some time. And and uh, and then there was another doctor in Tustin who was very busy. He had taken over his dad's practice, which was like a 25-year-old practice. So he, I used to go, he used to take Friday afternoons off, and I would go work in his office. Mm-hmm. But I could see my own patients from Irvine if they just wanted to drive down the block a little bit. And so it was sort of slow getting started, certainly not buying Ferraris off of that. And, yeah. and how long into that were you buying Ferraris? Well, unfortunately, I always found money for Ferraris. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in a cheap house, <laughs> and I didn't go on expensive vacations. Right, right. But I always, I always had a, 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 a sweet tooth for the next good Ferrari. That, that was uh, that was your uh, asset allocation, right? Your I wasn't, wait a minute. I wasn't much of a you know. I wasn't uh, other than my trip to the Ferrari factory and stuff. Which I don't know whether you want to know about that. Well, but, uh, but I never was too much of a traveler. I did some traveling. Never was much for you know drinking fancy wine and I liked an occasional restaurant. But I had a very very sweet tooth for the prancing horse. For the prancing horse, um, two things. One. I'd love to get you back. We're going to wrap up here. I'd love to get you back to just talk about Ferraris because you, you, it, it is your passion, and I, and I love it about about you because um, you've got some really great Ferrari stories. Um, but the spirit behind this sort of podcast for, for Pat and I is to hear your story, get your story out there, but also hopefully share this with a bunch of young kids right my kids are, are young and pat's kids are young and we want to give them hope of hey dude it's okay to 
grind it out. So I guess the the the, the thing is, one gives if you have a, a, some advice to a young kid, um, what what would you say yeah. to, to be a successful entrepreneur? Do I get maybe a three minute epilogue? I which, love it. Which would this summarizes where the whole Ferrari experience came from? Yeah. Okay. In 1956 or 1957, they used to have a type of business. Uh, the name of this business was called the Fuller Brush Company. These were what were called traveling salesmen. And they would go from house to house selling their wares. Now, they didn't have stuff in their car, but they had a catalog. Mm-hmm. They had, uh, my mom used to buy pine sole for cleaning the floors. Uh, perfumes, uh, lipsticks, mops, brooms, hairbrushes. It was called the Fuller Brush Company. Great brushes. Great brushes. Toothbrushes, too. So the Fuller... Amazon Prime. That's what it is now. (laughs) So the Fuller Brush Man leaves this catalog with my mother. I'm 13 years old. Okay? 13 years old. It's about 40 pages on the front shows Phil Hill, who had just become successful in front of the old red brick building, mm-hmm. Ferrari factory. And on each page, along with the items they were showcasing, were pictures of the factory. Engines on the dynos, a couple of two uh, pontoon fender testerosas mm. with him in the car, uh, engines on the diamondometer. Uh, uh, di- All right. Okay. That's always been a hard word. Uh, and on the back, the only production car they were making was a, a, a Lusso. I didn't return that book. I kept that book. It was <clears throat> some magic in that catalog from the That's awesome, man. Carried it with me for some reason with my pride possessions when I was overseas. Had my little book. In college, it was very fashionable to get Playboy magazine. Yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't re- reveal as much as you do now just looking at an ad or looking at the Kardashians. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just look on the newspaper or online. Yeah, right. and, see. Uh, and there was a writer named Ken Purdy. He, was, uh, he and a lady named Denise McCluglidge, they were oh, yeah. the premier automotive journalists back in their time. And he would always be comparing Ferraris to Corvettes. So the articles that I would have seen back at that time would have been when they were comparing the Corvettes with the uh, 275 GTBs. (laughs) So I kept that catalog. When I came to California in 1968, I saw a silver 275 GTB on the road, and I said, I'm going to have one of those someday. So here's a kid who grew up in a little two-bedroom house, with a swamp cooler on top mm. in Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> yeah, we were middle class, but it's, you know, I mean, these are like sort of humble kind of belongings. Yeah. Who had a dream, you know, that I'd, I'd dream that someday I'd like to see this place where they make these cars. And I thought, boy, someday I'd like to have one of those cars. So for being the kid with the pen in the pocket, yep. with, who looked like a nerd, who did well in math and the hard sciences, who wasn't necessarily uh, focused on image and being cool in school like a lot of today's kids are, but mm-hmm. basically always being a hard worker and trying to do the best you can. Uh, the end result is, while some of those guys are you know, either working in gas stations or 
who knows what, the, the, right, the cool right. dudes. You know, I've just bought my 10th Ferrari. Wow. And I went to the Ferrari factory in 1977. And let me tell you, I know that people go now and the dealers make it probably a pretty easy uh, trip to make, but it was really hard. Still uh, hard. William yeah. Harra himself sent a, uh, what they called it a telex. It was yep. a kind of a telegram. <laughs> uh, and introduced me to the factory. I never knew Mr. Harrow. Right, it, right. But he had to make the invite. Do you still have the catalog? Uh, I still have the catalog. As a matter of fact, in his, uh, uh, it, on the occasion of Phil Hill's birthday, he signed every page of that catalog. I'll show so, you this sometime. So when, really... when, when we're going to have you back... Uh, and when we do, by that time, you know, we're Pat and I are going to have a very, very successful podcast, and we're going to have cameras and shit. So uh, bring all your, I'll be able to show bring that. all the Ferrari gear. Um, so tell t- tell my kids, tell Pat's kids, tell our kids. I think what I tell you, kids, is driving a Ferrari is driving perfection. Uh, maybe some of the older cars had some problems, but anyway, it 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 it's uh, it defines an individual. It shows that you have, for some people, taste, and it shows that you're probably a detail-oriented kind of person, and it shows that you want to maybe have something special. Well, you have to do something special to be able to live and have something special. So it means. You have to find something somehow that you might like. You have to think about the fact <clears throat> that your parents aren't going to be around when you're 80 years old. And you're going to have to take care of yourself. So try to find something that you like and try to do well. Whatever it is, the, the secret to success is being focused and just trying to be the best you can. Not everybody's a genius. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a great athlete. But most people can be relatively good at something if they'll just try. It means be focused and uh, and try not to be, you know, in uh, Back to the Future. The, the, the Michael Marty, J. Fox was Marty always the, the slacker, you know, something. Yeah. You don't want to be a slacker. You, you want to try all the time to do the best that you can. Mediocrity won't hold up, you know, for the next... 20 or 30 years. You love really it. have Amen. to try and fucking love it, dude. Amen. Mediocrity. <clears throat> and uh, in closing, I would tell oh, you, you you'll do the closing, <laughs> but every shit. now and then a kid in my neighborhood, and I live now like in a middle, middle class neighborhood, you know, 78,000 houses that now they're, you know, much more, but some kids will pass by, look at the car, and I always say, you can have one of those too, but you're going to have to get good grades. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but you have to, you have to give a shit. Right, you have to right. care, but I I love the mediocrity doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. Right. Like, you, really... you got anything? You got anything for the the good doc? You got a boil or anything you want to show him? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, one question: Growing yes. up in Indianapolis, yes. did you go? Did you go to Indy all the time? Interesting that you asked. I went for thirty-one consecutive years, from nineteen fifty-seven to nineteen eighty-eight. I stopped going nineteen eighty-eight because they changed it from. Memorial Day to the Sunday before Memorial Day, and then if it got rained out, uh, they they fucked the plane, your mojo the, up. Yeah, the plane tickets were no longer <laughs> any good. You know, so 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 I stopped going after that. So I went uh, thirty one years. I have the annual uh, oh, the, that's the, the great. book that you get when you yeah. go to the race. Have that, 
And the year of my internship, 1968, I rode in the ambulance during the time trials. Oh, they, cool. They had a medical, like, like a medical student could really do yeah, real well if your guy was decapitated. So you know? That was great. I've, I've only been there once, and it was for an F1 race uh-huh. in 05, but I went to the Indy Museum in the infield, yes. and it's spectacular. Yeah. In addition, they have about 75 rolls of regular 8 and Super 8 film that I took myself at the track. I have cars like... <clears throat> You've ever heard of the Novi? They were very powerful V8s in the 1950s. They you were gotta, you got to put that in the cloud. All that stuff. Cloud. Get yeah. that and off the get that off the eight millimeter. And uh, there was a turbine car. Andy Granatelli oh, yeah. had a jet engine. He was in first place with six laps to go. He was so far ahead that when an eight dollar bearing went bad, they bought a mediocre bearing. <laughs> that he still finished seventh because he was so far ahead. I think they outlawed that because they thought it was, you know, yeah, it over, was overly powerful. Oh, that's uh, great. So, Ellis, thank you very much, man. That's great really stuff. appreciate you showing up. And, uh, you know, I, for those of you who can't see, the Gell- Dr. Gellis is hurt. He's injured, but he showed up. Game through. Appreciate it, Pat. Thanks. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, it was awesome. fun. And if I come back, like I said, I'll tell you more about the Ferrari factory as it was back then when cars were on dollies. No uh, robots. Yeah, no, robots. no conveyor belts. Uh, I eat lunch in the cafeteria. You know, I have a little bit of pasta. <laughs> Uh, I love it. Thanks again, Doc. Appreciate you coming. You're very welcome. Thanks. All right. Good night, everybody. Okay.